The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Yes? Good. So good evening, everyone. This is the third week that I'm here for Andrea. She'll be back next week, at least for a week, I think. Right? Yeah. And she's going to go off and teach another retreat. So um, I've been uh, sort of following a theme for the last couple of weeks. And last week we were talking about um, vulnerability and inner defensiveness. And um, I thought I would uh, sort of carry on with this theme. But as I was reflecting on this over the week, um, there's a way of approaching this that's very uh, conceptual. Uh, And uh, we can get confused by uh, thinking about these things too much. And this is, you know, guilty as charged. I do this all the time. I tend to be a head person and I'll um, think something to death. And then I realize that, wow, it's not really that difficult. All I have to do is feel into it and experience it. So um, I want to say that there's a place for, for both things. And when you're talking about something, you almost have to, or I do, because maybe I'm not skilled enough, but I almost have to talk about it from a conceptual, um, in, a, in a conceptual way. But that doesn't mean that we can't um, feel into it and experience these things. So um, I just want to go back for a moment and uh, touch on a couple of points that we were talking about last week. And that is um, that... Uh, in order to really be ourselves, in order to be intimate with ourselves, um, we have to come to terms somehow with the sense and the feeling, the actual feeling um, of the fear of being vulnerable. Because when we touch these deep feelings within ourselves, these deep places within ourselves, where we sort of lose, lose ground and, and lose signposts, there's a feeling of vulnerability that comes. And um, this vulnerability uh, can be uh, really unsettling and disturb us. And there's a direct experience of that, and then there's a description of it, which is what I've just um, offered here. And... Um, <clears throat> The description sort of is to get one uh, to approach this without turning away. Um, so, so vulnerability, to be vulnerable and allow yourself to be vulnerable is a sign that you're actually opening, that some sort of opening is happening within us. This isn't easy. This is not an easy process. It, it's, it takes practice and it takes learning. And um, for a lot of us, we are so almost immediately overwhelmed by these powerful feelings that we can sometimes touch um, and that sometimes come up out of nowhere. We don't know where they came from. They just come up and... and um, uh, sort of overwhelm us. Uh, we don't. We don't have the the wherewithal to even recognize what's happening, and so uh, there's the experience of of just being washed away by whatever it is that's coming up. So let me give you a sort of a more uh, immediate example. When we're meditating and the mind drifts off, and we get lost in thought. We're thinking about the future, we're thinking about the past, we're on some sort of a, of a you know, thought train. We're just lost. We don't, we don't have the awareness 
to recognize that what's happened is that we're lost in thought. And at a moment, at some moment, we, we wake up. We don't know why we wake up, but we wake up and we realize, lost in thought. Uh, I was talking to someone on the phone today as I was driving down the freeway and we were talking about this and she said, oh my God, I drive down the, fr- I drive down the freeway and I'm driving for 10 minutes and I, I don't remember a thing because I, w- I was so lost in thought. I don't know how I got from point A to point B, but then I wake up. I don't know why I wake up. This is a very simple example of what I'm talking about. And when something comes up like anger, for instance, we can be lost in anger. We can be lost in anxiety. We can be lost in wanting, in any kind of powerful emotion. We can be lost in delighting, quite literally. So, so it requires, especially if these are difficult kinds of experiences, it requires a sense of... of um, willingness to practice just learning how to be with what's there, just learning how to recognize what's there. So um, this also requires courage, it requires compassion, and it requires a willingness to actually experience this sense of groundlessness, this sense of vulnerability, and um, something that I was trying to emphasize last week is to not abandon ourselves at that moment, at that place where there's a rub, where things are sort of raw and real, but uncontrollable. They're out of our control. And this happens to every single person. Everybody in this room has experienced it. I was in two meetings today, and... <laughs> The meeting looked, sounded like it was about something else, but it was about not being able to be with this place that scared us, the people that were in the meeting. And we danced all around it, and somehow we were able to recognize that's what was really going on. But um, this really does take practice. So, so uh, when we when we guard against these feelings, when we defend against these feelings, when we shut down against these feelings, what actually happens is that we cut off our awareness. Now, if you think about it, um, when you're having an experience that feels raw or dangerous or vulnerable in some way, you're feeling this way, there's a tendency to want to not be with it, right? Or am I the only one that doesn't like to be with <laughs> things that don't feel good? So there's this tendency to not want to go there, to not be there. And it can be something very simple, like I want something, you know, I want tea, I don't want water. It can be something simple like that, or it can be something really big and significant in our lives. So when we guard against it, we actually are shutting down awareness. We're shutting down our ability to be aware of what's actually going on. And so what we're doing is we're being with the experience that we're having through the lens of wrong view. We're not seeing clearly what's happening. We're not, this is not right view. This is wrong view. Because we have, we've obscured the reality of the situation, of the experience. So one of the ways that, um, one of the ways that we can begin to um, actually get closer to the to being with the direct experience is to practice mindfulness of the body, is to practice actually making a friend with your body, getting to know what's going on in the body when it's actually happening. Because the mind can be here and the body can be here 
and they're in two different places and they're not in harmony and when that's happening there's no um, realistic chance of having much clarity and this is how most of us live I mean this is a normal way of living this is actually it may be programmed into our evolution in a way we we uh, our default mode is to really be on guard we don't want that tiger jumping out from behind the tree biting us in the ankle so our default mode is not to be calm and centered and receptive our default mode is to be on guard and being careful so this is programmed into us this is our evolutionary program programming and it's our cultural conditioning our culture i i won't just say western culture but the culture of the world today is so fast that we really almost don't have a <laughs> much of a chance unless we have some some good fortune to start to hear some of this some of these teachings to to slow down and um learn how to become intimate with ourselves because the mind can trigger responses in the body and the body can trigger responses in the mind it it's a loop it can go both ways so we we have to just begin to recognize that and so where do you feel vulnerable you can begin with that what does vulnerability feel like to you what does it feel like when when um something comes up and you feel on guard or you feel danger or you feel you see so a lot of people feel it in their gut or in their solar plexus or some people feel it in their their neck and their shoulders and there's a million different ways that you can feel it but if you begin to just feel into the sensation of the ex- of the experience that's arising you will notice quickly that there's a difference between feeling the direct sensation and what you immediately start to think about in response or in reaction to the sensation does this make sense so i get a feeling right this feeling feels like like i'm in trouble or something this 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 is red alert i've got a red alert feeling and this feeling might feel i might just be feeling hot uh, i might be feeling a knot in my chest or something like that but the mind immediately spins a story it immediately starts to tell my i start to tell myself a story about what's going on what this means why this and pretty soon it's layered with judgments this is proof that i'm not worthy this is proof that i'm unlovable this is proof that i'm this this is proof that i'm that you see so <clears throat> and it's not all that's happening is that i'm feeling these sensations in the body and these sensations might feel unpleasant it's this, there's a word in pali called vedana and it's the feeling tone of all experience which is said to be either pleasant unpleasant or neither pleasant or unpleasant in other words neutral so most of us want things to be pleasant we don't want things to be unpleasant and when they're unpleasant there's a kind of evolutionary and cultural programming that kicks in immediately that resists this unpleasantness and wants things to be different than they actually are when all that's happening is that we're reacting to a feeling this feeling we then this experience we then conceptualize and tell ourselves a story about it you see you have this feeling you have this feeling i have this feeling 
you have the details of your story, you have your story, I have my story, you have your story. The stories are different, but the feeling is the same. You see? And if we can begin to just touch into the fact that there are these physical feelings, and I just want to talk about it on that level, on this material level, that there are these sensations that are just sensations. And these are sensations that are associated with anger or fear or jealousy or sadness or grief or delight or happiness or wanting or lusting or whatever it happens to be. That's, that's what these feelings are associated with. They're just feelings. But what happens is we, we misunderstand these things especially if there's any kind of unpleasantness associated with it. And we spin off and get lost in anger, fear, grief, you know, resentment, etc., etc. The list goes on and on. So <clears throat> what we can do by bringing our attention to, to cultivating this mindfulness of the body by making friends with our body, what we begin to do is learn how to be with the direct experience that we're having. And if we can be with the direct experience, the simple sensations, in this case I'm talking about just the sensations of recognizing maybe an emotion or a thought, we can learn how to be with things that are difficult in a very simple and gradual way. It's like we don't want to like take the most difficult thing in our life and then try to do this. It's like not, it's unrealistic and it's not going to happen. But you can take baby steps. No, no, let's, let's not call them baby steps because that's just, You can take bite-sized portions of this, but you can know that this is what you're doing. You're trying to learn the capacity to be with what's actually going on inside of you without putting layers and layers of filters and labels between the experience and yourself. This is how we defend against this feeling. This is how we separate ourselves from this feeling. This is how we obscure ourselves from right view. Right view is to simply see anger is present. Wanting is present. You see? When we can see that anger is what has come to be in this moment, we don't get lost in the anger. We simply recognize that anger is there. And then we may actually have a choice about whether we're going to engage it or not engage it. Generally, if you can see that that's what's there, it loses its steam, you see? It doesn't necessarily just instantly resolve and reconcile but it doesn't control you anymore. You're not enthralled with it any longer. But this means that you have to be able to be courageous enough and have enough faith and trust that by staying with the actual experience that you're having, that you might have some deeper insight into what's going on, you see? And so at a certain point, it does require us to cultivate this sense of faith and trust. So you can't do that. Most people can't do that. I, I certainly can't. Um, by just deciding I'm going to do it. I have to experience it directly. That's where... <clears throat> that's how I started here, and I want to come back to it more than once in this talk. Um, we we tell ourselves and we understand things sometimes through words and concepts, but it's through the direct experience that knowing happens. And knowing is what awareness is. Awareness knows what vulnerability is. It knows what that feeling is. You see, you don't have to ask yourself Am I vulnerable? You simply know you're vulnerable. You don't have to ask yourself, am I happy? 
How do I know if I'm happy? You know if you're happy, right? You don't have to ask yourself if you're alive. You know that you're alive. Awareness knows aliveness, that type of thing. And when we resist our experience, we close down our awareness, we shut down our awareness. I wanted to come back to that and make sure that this is clear because this fragments our experience. This separates us not only from other people, but it separates us from ourselves. And when we're separated from other people and ourselves in this way, this gives rise to what they call in Pali, dukkha, or suffering. This actually creates the stress that we feel in our lives. So um, we, we have this kind of cultural conditioning. We have this lifetime of habit of, of thinking that in order to survive in the world, we have to protect ourselves. We have to guard against all the tigers that are coming in all the different ways, the saber-toothed tigers that are coming in all the different ways at us. And so... Um, we have, we see threats coming at us externally. We feel internal threats coming. We feel all of these demons, so to speak. We'll call them demons. They're inner demons. And um, <clears throat> really, what are these demons other than our own thoughts about things? Um, they're basically just mental states that we construct in our minds through trying to get away from feeling what's actually happening. You know, and I'm talking about difficult things, but some people are afraid to actually touch the feeling of love. They're afraid to love. They're afraid to be happy. They're afraid to be glad. They're afraid to feel gladness. Just as it's important for us to look at you know, what causes us to suffer, we can look at um, the beauty and benefit and wholesomeness of feeling gladness within ourselves and um, recognizing uh, when kindness and, and beautiful sublime qualities like compassion have arisen. And it's not like we're using those things to antidote anything. We're just bringing awareness to the fact that those things exist within us just like all the shadows. So when we feel vulnerable, I think I said this at one of the weeks I was here, when we feel vulnerable and the, and the heart, this is a sign of opening, let's say the heart is opening, it's not just these sublime qualities that show up. It's not just the, you know, the feeling of love and connection and unity and, and compassion, um, these shadows will come out as well. And this is a purification. This whole path of meditation is one of purification. Uh, when we start to meditate, we, don't, we sometimes don't realize that because many people come to meditation because they're suffering. That was, that was my case. I came, I was in deep despair when I came and found meditation. And <clears throat> my idea was, wow, I need something to turn my life around because this really sucks. And um, so, you know, my, my initial thought and my initial intention was to do something where I could find a little bit of peace and and, um, you know, some refuge and some happiness in my life. And um, I had no idea that when I started to meditate, I was going to touch places that I hadn't, you know, that I wasn't anticipating. And I had no, you know, I spent the first years of my meditative life basically sitting on a cushion weeping. I hadn't, you know, what what is this all about, you know? And I'm out at Spirit Rock right now. I'm, I'm with, you know, 90 yogis out there. And there are people sitting in the meditation hall and on the benches outside, literally weeping. And you would think, what are these people? 
come to this meditation just to cry, but it, it's so important for people to touch these places. It feels so cathartic. Some people say, I'm afraid to start because there's an ocean in there. It'll never stop. It'll, you know, it'll never stop. But it, it will. It changes. It changes. It's like we have to sort of let these things out so that we can see that they're there, so that we can see what's scaring us, so that we can see our demons, and so that we can see that, in fact, we're creating our own reality with our thoughts and our mind states. So <clears throat> these, these defensive mechanisms, this protective stance in a way where they're just, um, they're just uh, enslaving us and imprisoning us in a wrong view. It's, to use a Buddhist term, it's just these are the things that need to be seen that we don't want to see and that we habitually default to our our ways of avoidance or aggressively confronting, pushing against. You know, some people are aggressive in fire, right? Some people will withdraw and hide. Some people will just go into uh, a denial that's just because they don't have a clue what's going on. So there's there's different ways that we actually um, deal with these things. But to be ourselves... To really be ourselves, we have to learn how to open. And in a way, we don't really, we don't do the opening. We just make ourselves available to what's actually happening. We learn to see what's actually happening. And in the seeing, we open automatically. In the seeing of suffering, the heart opens with kindness and compassion. You see, we don't want to suffer ourselves. When we finally get it, wow, I am really suffering. When we get that at the level of experience, not concept, but the the level of experience, it's completely different. And the natural response of the heart is to open. And the heart will hold us in compassion. When we witness someone else, even a stranger on the street that's suffering in some way, really distressed in some way, the natural response, you know, we go past, we go around the corner and there's been a car accident and something happens in us and we just respond. This is, this is the natural response of the human being is to open. So um, to be ourselves means that we have to open. And um, <clears throat> most of the time we're basically guarding against being open. And we have to see this tendency. So um, I'm going to read something that Gill wrote um, and if any of you are new to the center, Gill is the the founding teacher of of this particular center, and he teaches a, a course uh, on mindfulness, um, and this comes from him. It's a it's a it's a beautiful paragraph because it it says a lot in a very concise way, and he's talking about cultivating mindfulness of the body. And again, I'm bringing this in as a way to learn how to be with our experience directly and not conceptually. So he says, one of the marvelous things about the body is that it's always in the present moment. Now, that's something we're thinking about. Our, our thoughts and our minds might be somewhere else, but the body, it's always here and now. So part of the task of meditation practice is to bring the body and the mind together so that they're in the same place at the same time, so that they're working together harmoniously, and so that they're not at odds with one another or going at cross-purposes. When you meditate, it 
isn't a matter of bringing your body to your mind. It's a matter of bringing your mind to your body. Your body is always here. We have to bring the mind back. So it's a matter of bringing your mind to the body so the two can be together in harmony. If you're sitting here and thinking about what you're going to do tomorrow, then your body is here, but your mind is in tomorrow. If you're sitting here and thinking about what's on television tonight, then you're here in the present, but your mind's in another place. It's really important for the purpose of mindfulness meditation to bring the body and mind into the same place at, in the same time, and this creates harmony. So most of us tend to live in our minds. Most of us tend to live in the world of our mind. And we're thinking about, just like he said, we're thinking about the past, we're thinking about the future, we're We've got plans, we've got regrets, we're scripting everything. And in the middle of all of this, guess who's there? Guess who's the star of all of this planning and thinking? Me. (laughs) Me, me, me. It's all about me. You can be sure when it's all about me, there's going to be dukkha somewhere. You can absolutely be sure of it. So um, when we begin to pay attention to the body, when we just begin to pay attention to what's going on in the body, when we begin to recognize we have a sensation, the sensation is maybe a a tightness in the chest or heat in the chest. And so instead of thinking, you know, oh my God, I'm so damn angry, we realize t- t- heat and contraction in the chest, period. And then we begin to see, oh, this is an association with anger. Anger has arisen. This is the result of the arising of anger in this moment. We also, if we can have that kind of perspective, we know that anger will pass. It doesn't, it's not permanent. It won't stay with us, Right. So there's not this tendency to cling onto it. And most of all, there's not the tendency to identify with it. We don't use this feeling as a way of creating an identification or a movement towards becoming an angry person, somebody who's angry. And once we we do that, once we think that we're this angry person, then we sort of, it's like we freeze ourselves into a frame and that can last for as long as it lasts. You see, I am an angry person. I am a miserable person. I am a, the smartest person on the earth, etc., etc. whatever it happens to be. So, um, <clears throat> again, if we can come into the body it helps us to let go of the mind and just to focus on what's going on in the body. This is really important because this helps us to become aware of and ground ourselves in the present moment. This helps us to know. I'll speak from my own experience. When I'm wandering around in my mind, when I'm thinking about things. This is not to say that thinking is a bad thing, but in terms of what I'm talking about here or meditation, when I'm off on a thought train, I am not present. I'm not in the present moment. I'm lost in thought, you see. But when I'm grounded with the sensation of a contraction in my chest, for instance, I'm at least... I know that I'm in the present moment because I'm feeling what's actually happening. Now, if I can stay with the feeling and not spin off into a story, then I can really be present. But um, this helps us when we start to use the body. It helps us to learn how to be present. And it also helps us learn to distinguish when we're present and when we're not present. See, so the body if we would just make friends with the body and trust the body, we could learn an awful lot. 
So um, one of the ways to train us in, in body awareness is to use a classical uh, meditation that's been taught in Asia and Thailand and Burma and places like that for like thousands of years, and it's called four-element meditation. And this is where we, um, we begin to recognize the, the traditional four elements that uh, bring us into the physicality of the body. And the elements are um, uh, earth, water, fire, and air. And when, when, when I was in Burma, my teacher taught me this meditation, and he taught it with a specific um, methodology and sort of a goal in mind. Um, but let me just talk a little bit about it. So the quality of earth is the quality of solidity. It's the quality of weight, heaviness, hardness, softness, that type of thing. This is like earth element, it's hard, okay? Your fingernails, earth element. Your teeth, earth element. Your bones, earth element. This is, um, <clears throat> water is moisture, uh, flowing, liquidity, that type of thing. So the blood, uh, tears, saliva, moisture in your mouth, any kind of sweat, any kind of... And the body is almost entirely made up of water, although it seems like it's not. It is. So this water element. Fire is the temperature that we feel, the warmth in our mouth, the coolness of the air on our skin. Um, heat from fever or anger or, you know, uh, the coldness that we might feel in a state of fear. So that's the fire element. And air is motion. It's uh, any kind of pushing. So this is a kind of a weird thing, but you, uh, if you were to bring your attention to your mouth, do it right now. Just bring your attention into your mouth. Close your eyes for a moment. And bring your attention into your mouth and uh, run your tongue over your teeth. Run your tongue over your teeth. And you can feel the hardness of the teeth. So you, you get the earth element. You can feel the, uh, the wetness in your mouth. So you get the water element. You can feel the warmth in your mouth. So you get the... Um, the fire element, the heat element, and you can also feel the movement of the tongue pushing against the teeth. And that pushing quality is the air quality. And so you can begin to simply use this as, just like people would use the breath as an object of meditation, you can be with the body and be with whatever sensations are arising and just you can purposely go through the body earth fire water air earth fire water air it's a way of concentrating the mind but it's also a way of recognizing that this body is simply made up of elements it's not a it's not an identity like we think it is Maybe I'll, I, I won't go there. It's a way of being with the body that sort of allows us to be with the direct sensations. So, um, so basically, it allows us to be with, with the body without being with the concept of what the body actually is. So... If I were to ask you to close your eye, let's try it again. Just close your eyes again and um, hold your hand out in front of you. Just hold your hand out in front of you or rest your hands on your knees. And, um, and um, in your mind, just what does that feel like? What does it feel like to hold your hand out? 
Now make a tight fist with your hand. Really tight, tighter. Do you feel burning or aching when you do this? Now relax the fist slightly. What do you feel when you relax the the fist? Now, as slowly as you can, open your hand. Just open your hand slowly. And now you can open your eyes. So I, I want to say that none of those movements are exercises were hand. Hand is really just a concept. It's a mental concept. What you experienced, what we all experienced, was a series of changing sensations. So beginning meditators will often say, or, or not just beginning meditators, but more commonly beginning meditators will say, I felt my hand. You see, this is how we move through the world. I mean, we have to have certain concepts to to move. But actually what happened was we experienced a series of changing sensations that we have conceptualized as hand. So another example that I've heard teachers give is... um, to be, uh, to to uh, hear the sound of a like an an infant crying, you see, and basically what's happening is that we're hearing vibrations strike our eardrum that we quickly perceive and label infant crying. So. We do this, infant crying, and then comes this Vedana. This feels, oh, that sweet little baby, or would that baby shut up? What's the matter with the parents? Why don't they take care of their child? And we start moving into these different, you know. So it's the same thing. It's like you hear the baby crying, and you think sweet, and I hear the baby crying, and I think, what? get that baby out of here. They shouldn't let babies on airplanes. That type of thing. So, <laughs> so this, is, this is what the mind does. And if the mind could simply, if we could simply, now we're not going to notice every vibration that hits our eardrums. I'm not suggesting that. But I am suggesting this is a way that we can begin to use the body to actually be with our experience. You see, because if when the fist was tight and it was burning and aching, a story instantly comes to mind about something's wrong, why is my fist on fire, my hand is never going to be the same, whatever the story happens to be, or I've got this tight fist, I'd like to smack someone. All that's happened is that we're experiencing the, the feeling, the sensations of the fist being like this. And we tell ourselves there's this initial perception and then it spins off into this, this story. And we can begin to ruminate on the story. And actual, actually, scientists can track what happens in the brain, how that loop is created and how you break that loop. And that loop, incidentally, is broken through, through um, practices like meditation. Because when people meditate, they create new neural pathways in the brain <clears throat> that allow the meditator to see the experience that they're having as an experience that's not permanent, that's changing. They begin to see anger as anger rather than my anger. Isn't that interesting? Because now the scientists are, in fact, validating 
um, and corroborating what the teachers have been, uh, what the contemplatives have been teaching for thousands of years, which is not to say that the scientists are in any way you know, less than or, or the contemplatives are more than. It's just that it's very interesting that science can now actually track what's happening in the brain when we begin to do these practices where we begin to see with right view what's happening. Because when we can't be with our experience, when we can't be vulnerable, when we can't stay with that feeling, we are lost on... um, uh, We're lost on this like gerbil wheel. We're just going around and around and around and around in circles and we're doing the same thing over and over and over again. And so so what we don't see is that um, when I see the baby as irritating and you see the baby as sweet, I'm I'm actually throwing the second dart or the second arrow that's in the famous Buddhist story where there is the direct experience of something being painful and then there's the suffering that comes when I think, why me? How did this happen to me? This is never going to end, etc., etc., etc. And then I just exacerbate the pain that I'm actually feeling. You see, if we can learn to be with our experience just a little bit at a time, just in bite-sized pieces, we can learn to be with big things that scare us or with big things that delight us without being washed away. It gives us some capacity to allow ourselves to be human. And to be human means... I'm sorry to say, if this is bad news for some of you, to be human is to know that there's shadows inside and to know that there's luminosity inside and to be able to accept the truth of that. And when you can, then there's a kind of equanimity that begins to develop that allows you to live with greater skill and greater wholesomeness and ease and um, so in simple ways like this we can learn how to be with our feelings of vulnerability without abandoning ourselves when things when the when things get sort of raw and rough and um by not abandoning ourselves, we're learning how to really be a friend to ourselves and to the world. We're learning how to transform wrong view into right view. And when one person does that, even a little bit, it has a tremendous impact on the world. It has a tremendous impact on us ourselves, and it has a tremendous impact on the world. And... Um, we can learn to be with things as they are in the moment and accept that for this moment, this is the way things have come to be, you see? So whether this is a moment of difficulty or a moment of ease or a moment of delight, this is the way things have come to be in this moment. And when we can be with that in a direct way, we're being with the truth of our experience and Being with the truth will set us free. The truth will set you free. So it's my wish that everyone in this room tonight be set free. So those are my thoughts for the evening, and I hope they've been useful in some way. And we have just a few minutes. If anybody has any questions or comments or anything that you would like to say, and for those of you who would like to doodle out of here. Please feel free. Yes. There's one phrase that I found particularly affecting that you've used over the last few weeks, and that was the idea of abandoning ourselves Mm -hmm. when 
we don't stay to experience some strong emotion or some negative emotion or some positive emotion. And I just wanted you to know that I found that particularly meaningful and something that was like, oh, you're right. It was easy for me to understand that. Yeah. Um, I also uh, find that a particularly useful way to stay connected with experience because um, <clears throat> the biggest challenge I think most of us have in our lives is that we can't stay with ourselves when the going gets rough. So we default to whatever our temperament happens to be. So some people are angry and aggressive. Some people are retiring and non-confrontational. Some people are in la-la land and they just, you know, they get lost. So uh, these are the three characteristics and we, we default to those things in a myriad of ways. And um, I, I may have mentioned it, but I had an, this experience of feeling um, a deep, in meditation this would happen, a deep sense of um, aloneness. Not loneliness, but a, a kind of an aloneness. And this aloneness felt very threatening and, um, and groundless, like there was nothing, nothing reliable that I could pin my pin any hopes on and um and there was a feeling of abandonment but i didn't because i didn't feel lonely i didn't know what what that abandon and i realized that i was abandoning myself quite literally and i i i think that people do this without knowing that they're doing it it's when the rub gets real that we bolt. And um, bolting is natural. Who wants to be with pain? But we can learn to cultivate the capacity to be with things like deep grief, for instance. This is not an easy thing to be with um, without turning away. And this, this is compassion and this takes courage. And this takes practice, and this takes kindness, and this takes learning how to be a good friend to yourself and being willing to try. So, with that, I want to say thank you all, and may the merit of our coming together to practice and to meditate together, may you take out whatever benefit we created and share it with your families and with your loved ones and with your colleagues and with the world at large. May we change the world. <laughs> Thank you.